0: Welcome to Prep Talk, the Emergency Management Podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the Emergency Management Department in the city that never sleeps. Here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi.
1: Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne.
2: And I'm Allison Panisi. And you are our listeners. And as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to listen to Prep Talk on your favorite podcast provider. You can also follow us on social media on our Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and much more.
1: Thank you very much, Allison. This episode, we're going to be discussing diversity and inclusion in the emergency management field, the COVID 19 pandemic, and recent civil unrest throughout the country have brought to light the inequities that have long plagued our nation.
2: Our special guest today is a champion for diversity and inclusion in the emergency management field. Not only was he a staff member on the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Homeland Security and was the senior special assistant to the governor of Virginia in the Office of Commonwealth Preparedness, he is currently serving as the director of emergency management for Virginia. Mr. Curtis Brown, welcome to Prep Talk.
3: Thank you for having me, Allison and Omar. Glad to be a part of the conversation today.
1: Yes, definitely. Thank you for being here. So let's jump right into it. Curtis, the first question, what led you to a career in emergency management? Did you choose emergency management or did emergency management choose you?
3: <laughs> That's a good question. A little bit of both. Um, I've always known that I wanted to you know, uh, be active in public service. And really help people through through public service. I originally had thought that my career would lead me uh, in housing uh, because in grad school I uh, received a housing fellowship through the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, I was able to 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 work on a campaign for for governor here in Virginia, and one of my mentors when I had an opportunity to. Coming to the uh, into the administration uh, really encouraged me to look at emergency management homeland security. Uh, it's a field that it was emerging in terms of of uh, post 11 and uh, Hurricane Katrina at the time. Clearly uh, understood the need for a greater organization, and uh, that's when, of course, all the academic programs started to grow as well. And he encouraged me to consider that that career path in terms of public administration, public service, and so. I, uh, I I did and have not turned back since. And uh, I, I found that it's been very rewarding and impactful in terms of a, a career choice.
2: So, Curtis, over the last nine months, the murder of George Floyd and the COVID-19 pandemic have amplified inequities in our society. Back in 2018, you co-founded the Institute for Diversity and Inclusion in Emergency Management. Tell us and our listeners more about the work you are spearheading to diversify the field through this initiative.
3: Yes, Institute for Diversity, Inclusion, Emergency Management, or IDEAM, we really look at it as two major goals. One is to increase the representation of underrepresented uh, individuals in the field of emergency management, uh, women and people of color, uh, uh, specifically, especially in positions of leadership. There's data and research that, that truly highlights the lack of diversity within the field of emergency management across the country. And we believe that Diversity is beneficial, especially as you look at the disproportionate impacts on marginalized communities and data that in indicates uh, disproportionate impacts on on women and, and communities of color. And it was, as was mentioned by Omar, COVID-19 has highlighted that even more with our, our Black, Hispanic, Latino, Latinx, and Indigenous populations. And so we really want to uh, partner with our Historically Black College Universities, Minority Servant Institutions. Uh, non-traditional emergency management organizations uh, to to diversify the field of emergency management. And there's a unique opportunity here over the next 10 years. There's data that clearly indicates that the field of emergency management will be increasing just because of how busy we've been. And so there's a unique opportunity to, to, to build that emergency management table and bring some more chairs to that table uh, with a more diverse uh, group of individuals. And so that, that's, that's a major part of what we're trying to do. Uh, the other part is to integrate uh, understanding of equity into the field of emergency management. Equity is different than equality. Equity understands that everyone does not uh, need the same thing, uh, that some people need more. And if you look at the, the data and the research and the history, uh, there's a reason why some people need more. Uh, there's been uh, discrimination, systemic racism. Uh, structural biases that have created inequities in in communities for uh, whole communities or individuals. And so as we tailor our emergency management programs, we should do so equitably and recognize and understand these issues and design our programs and support mechanisms to address those. We've done a lot of research with, with emergencies and we worked with academia. And if you look at a disasters throughout the course of the 20th century. And here in the 21st century, there's a common theme that those who are, who are marginalized, uh, frontline communities will disproportionately suffer. So it really pushes us to to hopefully change our, our approach to emergency management, uh, especially as we face more uh, frequent and impactful disasters.
1: You brought up so much in your response. Uh, we're going to get to all of it. I want to start with the representation because I think that is important. How important is representation to ensuring equitable preparation and response to emergencies? And I ask that specifically because I know that you recently testified before the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, and you stated that overwhelmingly, uh, you know, the majority of emergency managers are white males. So there is a need For diversity, but when we talk about representation, how important is representation to ensuring the equitable preparation and response to emergencies?
3: Uh, Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think the private sector and and there's a couple of really smart institutions have done uh, research about how uh, diversity impacts positively the bottom line of private sector, uh, you know, companies. Uh, The more uh, women and people of color truly impacts the bottom line because uh, there are different perspectives brought to the table that would not have been at the table. And that that group, that diverse group, works more cohesively together to solve complex issues. And I think the same thing would be true in emergency management with more diversity. When we're we're talking about disproportionate impacts specifically to communities, marginalized communities, communities of color, Having individuals who come from those communities to provide the perspective on how to best engage, uh, how to best empower uh, those communities. And so I believe that uh, if we want to rise to the challenge of these complex disasters we're dealing with now, it would be beneficial in serving our mission to, to mitigate the loss of life and, and to, to enhance our preparedness by bringing these diverse voices and perspectives to the table. One way in which, you know, uh, we've suggested doing that is, is looking outside of our typical areas of recruitment and start recruiting people from different disciplines, disciplines that, uh, that are more diverse in terms of representation of women and people of color and, and training them in emergency management, but, but leveraging their, their, uh, unique skill sets from other disciplines uh, along with their, their, their diversity to positively impact the field of emergency management.
2: Curtis, you scratched the surface on this, but I want to dig a little deeper here. What changes can jurisdictions implement to make the field more accessible to women, Black, Indigenous people of color, and even the LGBTQIA community?
3: I think uh, outreach. Uh, I think emergency management should be more visible in terms of our outreach to diverse communities, participating in events and, and going out into the community and being visible I think emergency management should be a leading uh, discipline across all uh, levels of government in engaging diverse communities. And so, you know, the the more outreach, the better. In terms of uh, recruitment, uh, the more targeted recruitment, the better. And letting folks know about opportunities in uh, our organizations, and saying that we uh, we we need their representation, that we need their uh, support, building programs uh, from the start that integrates uh these diverse groups and organizations. And so in all of our communities, there are organizations and groups that are influential and active. Uh we just need to reach out to them. Uh as a part of our COVID nineteen response, for instance, we've been doing a lot of outreach to the LGBTQ community, black Hispanic Latino throughout the response and engaging and in, in them in order to engage how we do outreach and plan and uh, also, you know, truly critiquing how we're how we're doing. And, uh, you know, that type of outreach and engagement is not easy, but it's, it's so important and necessary. And I think uh, it, it could be beneficial as, as we continue to build these relationships to help with recruitment as well.
1: And when you look at building relationships, I'm glad you mentioned that because it seems that throughout the emergency management field, we're only really in the communities when there is a disaster. Allison could attest to this as well. You know, emergency management, you know, we've had mobile office hours here in New York City prior to the pandemic. And we do community outreach now, obviously. It's a little different. Uh, But uh, pre-pandemic, we would go out into the communities and the first question we would get is, is there something bad happening or coming? Do you know something that we don't know? Uh, So (laughs) let's talk a little bit about the proactive need to be in the communities before there is an emergency in the blue sky time, so that you can really build that trust with them.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh Yes, yeah, so that that is that is very much true, and, and I, I do think that that you all, uh, uh, New York City Emergency Management Program, does some innovative and creative things that, uh, quite honestly, uh, I've used here in Virginia in terms of outreach and diversity, but. You know, I I think emergency management has focused a lot attention and and clearly we understand why on response, you know, activating the EOC and and of course, uh, you know, trying to prevent the loss of life when something bad has happened. I, I think we need to focus a lot more attention on preparedness and mitigation and those community relationships and those human impacts of disasters before they occur. So what do we do on the blue sky day? and so when i when i look at emergency management and how we need to innovate and evolve to deal with what we're dealing with now and what we expect to continue to deal with uh the impacts of climate change uh more uh, frequent impactful disasters pandemics uh which we've seen here in 2020 this won't be our last pandemic unfortunately we need to create and design positions that aren't even created yet we need we need community and within some organizations i know some uh uh, some emergency management programs have this but but uh, far too many do not these community liaisons who are actively engaged with uh, our nonprofit and faith-based organizations uh, supporting their development of planning engaging the community so they know who we are and and how we can support uh, during the preparedness and mitigation phase and what they can do to to enhance their preparedness how we can Truly engage and identify our most at-risk populations, and and try to support them well in advance of a disaster. But but yes, I, I think we need to to focus more attention on that. Response is very important. Of course, uh, recovery uh, is very dynamic and takes the longest time. But uh, if we could could put more resources and time, and and again, you know, this is where we could. You know, create positions where we have these community liaisons who are truly embedded, building, uh, building trust in communities that uh, have very legitimate, uh, uh, lack of trust in government. And, and, and we could do that in a very creative and ongoing, engaging way in the preparedness and mitigation phase.
2: It goes back to something that I know in, in New York City that we've emphasized this is it's whole community preparedness. And when we mean the whole community, we mean the faith-based organizations, NGOs, and nonprofits working alongside government, even the private sector. And, and you touched upon something really important here, that the disaster cycle, there are inequities in every single component. And emergency plans may not be representative of the populations that they serve. So how can we alter the planning process to address and eliminate institutional and structural issues that can create inequities rather than, you know, imposing band-aid solutions to, you know, make things better temporarily? What are the permanent solutions that we should be looking at?
3: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. I and and I think we need to uh to, to your point, we can't and I, I believe uh your former administrator uh, you know, Fugate has said this before, we can't plan for easy, right? We got to plan for the complex and the difficult. And I think uh, integrating these diverse voices into the development of our plans and leveraging data, quantitative and qualitative, uh, and, and empowering uh, these stakeholders, especially those who provide services to those who are most at risk, to guide and frame the development of our plans We can uh, help to to hopefully minimize the potential for for bias or not fully representing their uh, needs and capabilities. Again, I think uh, emergency management does maybe you know need to be more community based and focused and engaging. And again, I I know that requires for a lot of emergency management offices more resources. Uh, One of the challenges uh, we face here in Virginia, and I know uh, you know certain certain other uh, state and local offices is, you know, have over half of our local emergency managers are, are one-person uh, offices.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
3: uh, you know, my thing is you, you can't run a, a fire department or a police station with one person uh, with uh, what emergency management is facing. Uh, you can't conduct preparedness, mitigation, response, and recovery with one person. We need to, to really look at how do we resource in order to meet these challenges in, in, in an equitable fashion. So uh, that's one of the things I'm looking at here in Virginia. You know, when we talk about equity, we're also looking at, you know, our, our limited resource communities who would love to to uh, apply for building resilience and infrastructure and communities grant, uh, the new grant uh, outlined by FEMA. But uh, they don't have the time. They don't have the resources or capabilities. And so, you know, who are we going to be? Who are who, what communities are going to get mitigated? Uh, they're going to be the most resourced, and, and unfortunately, uh, you're going to have communities left behind. So, uh, you know, as we look at innovating in emergency management, we really need to look at the resourcing and the equity uh, for uh, some of our our low resourced urban and rural communities that uh, have been left behind.
1: Man, that is such a uh, an important point that you've made uh, because it's so true when you look at it. You know, there are emergency management departments, as you said, with one person, it can't work. It's not going to, especially with the challenges that we're facing and that we're going to face. Mm -hmm. So when we look at emergency management over the next year, two, three years, what are your hopes for the field? And you touch on some of that, but how important is it for the next administrator to really have diversity and inclusion at the forefront of their plans?
3: Um, I, I think is is uh, essential um, to being able to continue uh, the ongoing response and move into the recovery of COVID nineteen uh, to to learn from the lessons of of this historic unprecedented event the disproportionate impact of the disaster uh, on on marginalized communities Black Indigenous and and Hispanic Latino Latinx populations the the disproportionate impact on on women, I think, you know, it's going to be essential to take the lessons of, of this year and integrate those into how we conduct ourselves in emergency management, uh, leveraging diversity, equity, inclusion as, um, as, as assets to deal with uh, any type of future disasters. FEMA, you know, has a lot of influence in emergency management, of course, uh, through policy and uh, funding, and as we look at the merchant management enterprise, whether public sector, private, nonprofit, we we all need to to step up and fully embrace diversity, equity, inclusion. We can't be on the outside of this very important discussion. Uh, these inequities that uh, communities have faced have been intertwined over the course of many, many years, uh, hundreds of years, in in, in in many cases, and so. Uh, as we uh look to address this emergency management as in in many cases consequence managers we 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 show up when bad things happen I think we need to to embrace the challenge of of looking at ourselves, critiquing ourselves, being honest about the lack of diversity uh the need to be more equitable in terms of our d- development of plans and policies, and um uh truly rise to the occasion so FEMA and the new FEMA administrator can serve as uh, great uh, leaders and example in this effort, incentivize the focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, recognizing that uh, we need mitigation plans and emergency operation plans that prioritizes those who are most at risk, that our, our funding programs, such as the, the, the BRIC uh, grant that I mentioned, uh, you know, one of the, the goals I would like to see with that tremendous opportunity is is over half of that the vast majority of that going to uh, our most vulnerable and at risk uh, communities uh, to mitigate the impacts of uh, of disasters and climate change and so this is a you know with with disaster uh, there also is a unique opportunity to to change and address uh, these issues and i think with the uh, with the great awakening and focus on racial equity and equity and diversity and inclusion this year, it provides a, a great opportunity for emergency management uh, to lead in this space. And uh, I'm hopeful that that will occur. Well
1: said.
2: Curtis, where can people go to learn more about how they can provide equity, diversity and inclusion to their jurisdiction?
3: Well, uh, that's a great question. and And I am happy to see a lot of jurisdictions that are uh, developing positions for chief diversity and inclusion officers. They're, they're in the mayor's office or the county manager office. And, in uh, here in Virginia, we're very proud that we have, uh, the first, uh, governor cabinet level position dedicated for a chief diversity officer. Dr. Uh, Dr. Underwood, uh, Janet Underwood is our, our first chief diversity officer. And as a part of our ongoing COVID-19 response, uh, I've been working very closely with her through our Health Equity Task Force, which is a part of our Unified Command. It's the first time we have a, a Health Equity Task Force embedded on Unified Command, for reporting directly to the Unified Command leadership and guiding our decisions for everything that we do, for, for plans, for resource allocations, for, for public messaging and outreach. They are, are a part of our leadership and, and guide our actions uh, through, an, through an equity lens. And so I would first encourage everyone to, to identify those individuals and partners within your jurisdiction who have the expertise. Because again, this is a, this is a, a new skill and, and new knowledge set. It's a whole way of uh, thinking. And so uh, I, I am, you know, very cautious when people just say, oh, I'm, I'm just going to start being uh, equitable in, in terms of my designs of programs. You have to study what equity means and what it looks like. And how to develop a program that, you know, doesn't meet the need of the organization, meets the need of those who are most at risk, and understanding their needs. And so, uh, I would say, first, partner with them as a as an organization. Uh, I deem we are uh, we have some training that we're providing and uh, resources that we provide on our website i dash d i e m org. We, we work very closely with higher education institutions and researchers. There's some great research coming out related to diversity, equity, inclusion, emergency management. Again, I know we're very busy in emergency management. Um, so it's kind of hard maybe to, 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 to read some of these, uh, these very detailed reports, but we've been trying to find ways to, to, to package them in ways that could help have impact within the emergency management field. Uh, for instance, there was um, some research that came out about how uh, uh, the recovery programs are, are not equitable and, in, and increase wealth inequality uh, in communities of color um, that really should help to guide creating, you know, more equitable recovery programs uh, on the federal, state and local level to, to close that gap. So, you know, just to summarize the, the to answer your question, you know, partner with those subject matter experts within diversity, equity, inclusion, within your jurisdiction in a formal, consistent way. We're, we're gonna actually have a, a MOU uh, memorandum, an understanding with um, the, the Virginia Department of Health Office of Health Equity. And they're gonna help to, to, to guide our efforts within emergency management, within my agency. We have plans on developing a, a new uh, office of diversity, equity, inclusion within our, our emergency management agency. And to do that, we're going to do that through the partnerships that I mentioned. Uh, and then again, for those who are are in the field of mortgage management, our goal is to continue to provide training and resources to to assist the the field for for growing their expertise in this space.
1: Thank you for that. And you mentioned the trainings. And I want to ask one last question and switch gears a little bit more to the internal work environment. When we think about the work environment, what procedures can organizations implement to ensure that people are being culturally sensitive when discussing their views about social issues? And I ask because, you know, we've seen what occurred with George Floyd, other civil unrest over the last few months, and, you know, People come to work, Black people come to work and say, you know, they hear culturally insensitive things and they have to bite their tongue, kind of hold it back. So what can people do to be culturally sensitive when we see social issues and social unrest arise in our communities?
3: Yeah, I I think that's a a great point and perspective. Uh, You know, there's been a couple of articles written over the course of the year uh, that describes this stressful situation that, in, in many cases, African-Americans have been in throughout the course of a year with these uh, with these you know, multiple incidents of, um, you know, such as uh, George Floyd's murder and and the, and the pain and stress that is brought into the workplace. And to your point, you know, and, and I've dealt with this, uh, the, the the lack of cultural competence and understanding uh, when uh, there's that, you know, water cooler talk and, and how that makes you feel uh it is not a, an inclusive environment and and that's why you know i think when when people talk about diversity and inclusion inclusion is so important because we want to create workplaces of belonging of inclusion especially for those who are underrepresented uh, in our workplaces um in many cases uh our people of color lgbtq community um you know women disproportionately in public safety and so uh we need to have cultural competence yeah, you know, there's a there's a book that really frames my belief on on how we improve in emergency management. It is uh, from a, a former a professor of mine. Uh, she's actually the dean of uh, of the public administration school here at Virginia Commonwealth University, and her book is called Race and Social Policy. So, excuse, excuse me, Race and Social Equity: An Uncomfortable Area in Government, and it's very uncomfortable because. We have to uh, grapple with the reality of the inequities of our policies, of our societies, of things that have occurred in our communities, uh, family members who, who um, are, are, are not inclusive or biased uh, or racist. And uh, these are tough uh, conversations to have, uh, but I think that they can be done in a culturally inclusive way. And we need to be, you know, honest about the the history and legacy of these inequities too. Um, I've been surprised at, well, not surprised. I, I think is a is a core part of of some of this diversity, equity, inclusion work is that a lot of people do not know uh, history in terms of what has actually occurred um, to create the inequities. I had a conversation not too long ago um, with a, a colleague who who uh, served in the military. And uh, uh, we had actually done a, a project, actually, with some graduate students at, at VCU to, to look at uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. And one of the things they brought up was uh, how the, the GI Bill, which was, you know, a, a, an incentive, uh, uh, some support, direct support to uh, folks in uh, the military after uh, World War II, uh, was provided and created uh, the, the wealth inequality we see today. And it was because that that GI Bill was not provided to the the million African-American, uh, African-Americans and, and other people of color who who fought in World War Two. And so all of our suburban areas and, and those areas have, have gained wealth over the last uh, several decades. And, and you can tie that directly to the wealth inequality we see today. So he was not aware of that history. He was he he. He definitely viewed positively, which which I think anyone would, the GI Bill because it's it's a good incentive for, for those who serve. But inequity was built into that 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 policy, and so you see that time and time again um, across different disciplines and different policies and laws, and and that explains why. So so a lot of times when you have these conversations in the office, uh, there's a, a certain level of lack of knowledge that exists. And so that's why this uh, training, these facilitated conversations, uh, working and empowering uh, folks from the community who who actually have the knowledge of of the of the history is important. And, and that's what I think a lot of our, our our offices workplaces need to to better educate ourselves on on why these inequities exist.
2: Speaking with Curtis Brown, Director of Emergency Management for the state of Virginia, anything else you would like to add before we go to rapid response?
3: Uh, No, I'm really uh, appreciative that y'all allowed me to be a part of this conversation. And, And there's interest in diversity, equity, inclusion, emergency management. I think this is a very important time within emergency management that we need to really focus on this issue and truly have impact. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we commit to To take an action, the better we'll be able to face the challenges that that lies ahead.
2: Absolutely. And for our listeners, if you want to learn more about how to incorporate diversity and inclusion in the field of emergency management, visit i-diem.org. It is rapid response time. And if you are a first-time listener, it's simple. Omar and I will ask questions, and our guest will give the first answer that comes to mind. But first. Here is a message from New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council.
4: Your daughter doesn't want to talk about why her room is a horrible mess. Your son doesn't want to talk about why he's wearing mismatching socks. Your spouse doesn't want to talk about their bad haircut. Families don't have to talk about everything, but they should talk to plan for an emergency. Pack basic supplies in a go-bag, water, canned food, flashlights, batteries, medical supplies, IDs, and some cash. Talk about where you'll meet in case you lose one another. And of course, don't forget to pack the dog treats. Talk to your family and make an emergency plan. Go to nyc.gov readyny or call 311 to make your family's emergency plan. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response.
2: Okay, first question in rapid response. Curtis, what is the one emergency item that you cannot live without?
3: Hmm, good question. I guess a uh, flashlight. <laughs>
1: We, we, yeah, that's a good answer. good answer. Uh, second question. What is one important emergency tip people should remember?
3: Emergencies can happen anytime, any place. And so you need to be prepared.
1: Beautifully said. I couldn't have said it any differently or any better. Lightening the mood a little here. Do you have a favorite disaster-themed movie or TV show? And if so, what is it?
3: Yeah, I think probably all my uh, movies have some level of disaster in it. Um, uh, And again, most of my guests are are more of the uh, the human caused terrorism threat. Uh, But but Die Hard, uh, which I believe is a is a great Christmas season movie,
1: uh, (laughs) is uh, is definitely.
3: is definitely one of them and, and that's the whole whole series there so
1: <laughs> <laughs> I right, know were you being facetious with that because I know there's been a lot of talk on the internet about that <laughs> yeah no I think
2: it's a beautiful Christmas movie
1: yeah uh, I think it's a beautiful Christmas movie
3: you know personally I put it up there with Wonderful Life I, I love Wonderful Life but I
1: I watched uh, I watched Die Hard 2 during this time of the
3: year as well <laughs>
1: OK, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to disagree with you, but you've heard it here first. Curtis Brown says Die Hard is a Christmas movie.
2: Last but not least, sum up the work you do in one word.
1: Uh, complex.
2: <laughs> I think that's a first. Usually we get a uh, a multi, multi-word multi answer here, Omar.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, try to, I try to comply.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we appreciate that. Honest, um, and-
2: it's refreshingly honest.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because emergency management is I mean, is complex. You you hit the nail right on the head. So, good answer. Every, every day is different and every disaster is different. So,
2: well, Curtis Brown, thank you so much for joining Prep Talk. For our listeners, it's important that we all work together in the field of emergency management. Um, the field has evolved, but we still have work to do. Be sure to have seats at the table for everyone in your community. And for our listeners again, i-d-i-e-m.org for additional resources. We'll see you next time.
0: That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe
2: and prepared.